Hello, I'm Govinda Rojlasidhu and this is Decolonising DMU, the podcast which studies debates about efforts to decolonise and make curricula inclusive in higher education. This episode takes a deep dive into education studies. It's a degree which many students use as a stepping stone for undertaking a postgraduate certificate in education and training to become teachers. The degree itself is quite broad and enables students to choose areas to specialise in. So to learn more about how education studies is focused on being inclusive and representative of their student body, I'm joined by Rick Kennedy, Senior Lecturer in Education at De Montfort University, and Dr Mocha Wolf, Senior Lecturer in Education Studies. First of all, could one of you tell me what's broadly studied in an education studies degree at De Montfort University? So the idea is to get a really good overview of why we educate. And we do that by looking into the history of education, the sociology of education, the psychology of education and other areas of education. For example, how to work with uh, people with special educational needs and disabilities and how to look at creative education as well, such as music education. Why is there a need, do you think then, Mocha, to be inclusive of different cultures and communities in education, just in general? If you look at who studies our degree and also who our students might be working with if they go into teacher training, then looking at that student body and the people in school, we need to be representative in terms of knowledge, in terms of what we teach. Do you mean representative of the different types of knowledge that we have in society? I think we have the problem that our knowledge is pretty much a white, Western-centric set of knowledge that we've all subscribed to and never really questioned. And if we actually look at who we are teaching, then this is not whom we are teaching. So if we change what we teach... And if we have an openness for other narratives in our teaching and the knowledge we are teaching, then we are far more inclusive and get far more of our student body engaged. And that trickles down then to schools. Thank you. Did you want to add anything to yeah. that? Yeah, I, th- I think that the use of different cultures and the representation of different cultures within education challenges the structural level of inequality that we have within um, within our society and aids breaking down some of those barriers for inclusion. I think it's a, a little bit deeper than the, the surface level of looking at sort of why they are there and why they're there and we, we've got to look at past that and who actually benefits from having a, a, a one-directional educational system with one form of knowledge and it's quite important that to be educators people that are going to be teachers um, are aware of the different perspectives that are around for education rather than just being monocultural with that and I think it's really important that they are open to that those influences in order to challenge the structural level of oppression that's available that's around within society at the moment. So you kind of both alluded to the fact that the people who kind of come to this course have an interest I guess in education and in society so the students that you're actually teaching Can you tell me a little bit about the impact that the primary school education, the system that they've been in before they get to us, uh, secondary school, has had upon, in particular, the minority ethnic students? So I don't know who wanted to go first. Um, I think there's a a lot of our students, if we look at the system of education, they've made it to 
degree level. So what they've actually done is they've actually won from a system that potentially could have cast them to side at any point within that. They've bought into a system of a Eurocentric education and they've learnt the skills in order to achieve to get to this level. Um, so I think from our point of view, we're, we're, we, we, we don't work with inanimate objects. We're working with people. They're going to go and work with, with people. That are, if the primary school can be very um, influenced by the, the, the power base within that environment, the, being the teacher. So it's, um, it's, it becomes really important for them to be able to understand the differences that are available within education um, and the different perspectives that are there within the world rather than just simply repeating, repeating, repeating the same old stances that have always been around. And, and, and a part of it is questioning as well and questioning the hierarchies and the power bases within education. Do you find sometimes the students that you're teaching are quite disillusioned by the kind of education experiences that they have had or maybe that they know that their peers have had? I think maybe from some of the peers they might have had, because they'll all know people that would have necessarily dropped out. I think, it's, it, as I said before, it's slightly deeper than that because we have a socially constructed um, view of education and a socially constructed reality that people buy into. There tends not to be a questioning of that system. That What happens is we tend to deficit model ourselves and say, well, we didn't make it because there's some fallacy within us, some flaw within our personality, rather than looking at the levels of structural oppression that people face. And I think that's the key to, en to enlightenment with our students is to, is to give them those perspectives to say, actually, sometimes it's... The, the, the master narrative, as I would call it, would be that it's a deficit model and it's on you as an individual, but it is actually structural within society that's impacting on us. That's really interesting. Did you want to add anything to that? Yes, maybe on a more individual um, level. I remember very well um, a student, I loved working with her, who in her first year, she... Um, she wasn't very successful academically, but she was actually really bright. And in her second year, she managed to completely turn that around and by, by engaging, by doing all the readings, but also because in that year, I'm not saying that I'm the only reason for that, but in that year, we had changed a, a lot within our curriculum in terms of looking at decolonizing. And I think she suddenly saw that there was something for her. So while there are, as Rick says, these deficit models and while there are people who are probably disillusioned from it by education, we also see the opposite. And the people who come to us, to our course, they're often, they often have made a decision to really kind of change something in their life. Because when you try to become a teacher or if you're really interested in education, there is a prior interest in that. Mm. And we see kind of... So I'd say two different ways of that. Those who really liked it and think they would like to kind of carry on with that. And those who had actually um, issues in education, we see that by topics like ability grouping being picked up and analysed and really uh, criticised by uh, especially our ethnic minority students who say this is in general very unfair what's happening there. So there's some really interesting perspectives and I guess education, the way that people experience it, is deeply personal. So why do you think in general in education that we tend to normalise Eurocentric perspectives? And that's not just in education studies. I'm just talking in general in higher education. We, we have this predominance of, of kind of using knowledge from the West as opposed to anywhere else. Mm. 
Well, if you there's different perspectives you can take to answer that sort of questions, but personally, I would use a critical race perspective to answer it, and it it it, it, it would be that that. It's there to preserve white privilege and white advantage and white supremacy within society. It's to normalise whiteness as being the cultural marker that we're measured against. All knowledge is formed by white European males and that is transposed down throughout the ages and students pick up on that and see knowledge as being created as white and they fit themselves in with that and it devalues blackness and um, black and ethnic minoritized students within that environment. It's about normalizing the ideas of, of whiteness within the education system and you know if, if we're perfectly honest why wouldn't it do that because the education system is part of the superstructure that supports the dominant ideology. That was from a Marxist perspective we could look at that for being capitalism but if you're going to be a critical race theorist and look at that you're going to say it's about white supremacy and white dominance and whiteness as that dominant ideology so the education system is going to be facing that and even though we do push for a decolonization of the education systems and dismantling a eurocentric education curriculum we're going to get resistance and I can I think we can see that resistance coming along the lines from the debate from the new right from the from the new right media saying that we, we don't want to be taking down statues and things like that and it, they've done a very very good job over the last sort of six eight months since George Floyd talking and, and focusing the debate purely about statues rather than really looking at structural inequalities that are around within society that need to be dismantled. And do you think that the point that you make there about people sort of ignoring the structural inequalities in society, do you think as educators that sometimes it's easy just to rely upon what you may perhaps already know and the kind of the structures that you're familiar with without perhaps critiquing them or questioning why you're just imparting that knowledge? I think in, in some respects, yes, but I think there's been a level of dumbing down that's happened across education that allows for people to not be critical and I think the beauty of our education studies program is the fact that we encourage criticality we're asking that question why we're developing critical consciousness which is what we want our students to go away with to pull to pull apart some of those taken for granted realities that they have and that we assume are always going to be there did you want to add anything to that? Yes, my background is music education, so I'm researching and teaching this both. And uh, in music education especially, we do actually see this master-apprentice model quite a lot. There's the masters who are actually holding all the knowledge, and this is kind of given to the student, and the student then gives it to their students. And so we have a whole generation of, of um, or generations or lines of generations of knowledge that's passed down. And there's very little criticality in that. And I think that's something where we also have to break up these chains because they are obviously very narrow and no other narrative and no other body of knowledge actually has any space in there. So, yes, I do think there is that. Tell me a bit about the kind of student, sort of your average student who'd come to De Montfort University to study education studies. Tell me a bit about their backgrounds. You know, are they quite diverse? I would say many of our students come from Leicester and have stayed in Leicester and we know that Leicester is a very diverse city, something I really love about Leicester. I've never felt as a foreigner here. And so that's that's one set of students. We have quite a large number of mature students as well. These are the students I referred to earlier when I said these make the very deliberate decision to change something in their life. And I am always so honoured to be part of that because it really is amazing to work um, with any of our students, but uh, particularly with that group. 
And then we have those students who come from the surrounding um, areas, often from Derby, Nottingham. If I start with you much first, what changes have you made to the modules that you teach to specifically decolonise them or be more inclusive and be more representative of the students that you are serving? I teach two modules. One is uh, philosophy of education and one is music in the life of the primary school. And then both I've made changes over the years. So in the philosophy module, I always saw there was this disparity of engagement. I had a few um, black and uh, ethnic minority students and I had a few white students. There's never been many students in this. So it was also kind of a small group, which actually should encourage engagement, but it only encouraged engagement of those people who were kind of white British. And in the light of the uh, decolonizing the curriculum, I was actually thinking, okay, who, who did we read? And we read Plato and Aristotle and we read uh, Dewey and we read uh, Rousseau. And while not all of them are British, they're all white and they all kind of create this canon of knowledge that is Western philosophy. I then thought, okay, who do I know of who is a black and female philosopher? And can we maybe change our book, our core book? Now, changing our core book, which is called The Greatest Educators Ever, and literally includes white people um, only, and most of them men, um, I'm very critical of this book. I couldn't change it because there isn't an alternative. There's one book which is called Philosopher Queens, which is great, and that's all about female philosophy, but it's not about philosophy of education, if that makes sense. So every single time I use something from this book, I am telling people this is not the only truth this is not just how it is this is one point of view what's your point of view and then I added people like bell hooks and just with that very small change of adding one more author who then obviously bell hooks is black and she's a feminist and she has incredible um, uh, opinions in education that need to be read suddenly I saw that the engagement of my black students really changed and a really easily reached change, if that makes sense, because literally I changed the narrative with which I was introducing the white Western body of knowledge and I changed one book. But that had a real big difference. That sounds really, really positive, doesn't it? Like how you can make something and just change the way that you deliver it and then see that positive outcome. So that's brilliant. Thank you for that. Turning to you, Rick, what sort of changes have you made to your uh, specific modules that you teach? I don't know whether they were uh, actually changes because I've always taught uh, a module about equality and race. Particularly, we start with the ideas of social class first. So we use traditional sort of sociological theorists to back those up. But we do that in, a, in, the, in, the, in the context of social class is more palatable to understand the inequalities that take place with the ideas of social class. Then we move on to the second semester when we look at sort of how race and equality impact society and how people are oppressed due to their race and ethnicity within society. And we use the same models of social control that are used by social class and transpose them onto race. So within that module, what I've done is I've always embedded southern authors, southern perspectives. Writers like Dubois, Edward Said and Audre Lorde are fundamental to that. I see it as a chance and we, we discuss critical whiteness studies, we discuss critical race theory. We use those as the sociological tools in order to analyse society and see how p- oppression is perpetuated across the generations, in effect. 
and it gives the the students the the tools in order to review and evaluate their experiences but also really say that they're able to go into schools and acknowledge the power differentials in there and literally be able to potentially challenge those power differentials as well. I think that's important that we, we theorise an awful lot about the issues of race and ethnicity and oppression within society. It's about equipping students with the tools to go in and maybe make a positive change. So that, again, sounds really positive. And what's interesting is both of you have talked about the idea of how you can change the the materials, the resources that you're using for the students. Now, in some people, and this is a question that I put to when we did the uh, episode about the library, that is it simply enough to change the readings? And is that decolonising alone? And I can see much of you're desperate to get in and answer this. Absolutely, because I'd love to um, tell you about the uh, other module I'm teaching as well, because I've done more than that there. So Music in the Life of the Primary School is a course that very practically um, prepares our students to what would happen if you were in a primary school and somebody would find out you're interested in music, then you probably become the music coordinator or what are you going to do with that? And so basically that's that's the idea of that course. And in that, so generally music education has a whole uh, debate of decolonizing the music classroom in all ways of music teaching at the moment. Because if you look at the programs that are played in big symphony halls, or if you look at what's taught in one-to-one instrumental lessons, that's all again white uh, Europe uh, composers. But in the classroom, in the music classroom, you won't have just white British children. So we need to find the music that's actually for the children that you are actually working with. And I remember myself having taught in a primary school where I was not even British, but the only white person in the classroom. And I, I came and taught them all these English nursery rhymes, something I would never do again. If I were to do that again today, I would ask them, what's your songs? Can you record them for me? Can I learn them? Can can the parents maybe record them for me? Can I make a songbook of this class? And can we actually, you know, work with different material? Can I learn from you? And I think that openness is something that we need. And the other thing I've done is for my PhD, I um, developed a curriculum of how to teach music with sounds. And this kind of moves away completely from using our traditional note-based music of, you know, what we sing, what we play on the violin or something. But instead, we're using everyday noises, sounds, um, and we record them and we put them on the computer and we can make music with that by putting effects on that. And, you know, these kind of things from cinemas, from film and game sounds. And we're making music with that. And I found generally that the level of engagement increased generally throughout everybody even if music was not for them and now think about if you are from a a BME background and you actually have all that you you are kind of encountering this western music how much of that music is for you and so even though I didn't plan for it this was a very very excellent side effect actually that we now have a kind of music we can make that includes everybody Now, we know that sounds are not necessarily culturally independent. So a sound in China will mean something very different for somebody who's grown up with that than for me. But you can still work with these um, sounds around us because anybody who's here and shares that and they share that far more than they would share the music we would play in a concert hall. So that's really interesting because obviously the songs that I guess children are learning tend to be 
the ones that historically that they would have learned in this country all along. But I like the idea that you said that that the teacher can learn from the children as because we always see that as a one-way street, don't we, that the children learn from the teacher. So that's, I feel like, a, a really useful tip when if someone's thinking about what they're teaching, and it doesn't matter if it's young children or, you know, adults in a degree course, that it is a two-way street. Um, what do you think then, I guess you've sort of alluded to this already, that decolonising isn't just simply about reading, it's, it's about sort of engaging with your with the people that are in the room with you? Absolutely, it's about engaging. I once was interviewed by somebody about how we could make this university more open or for foreign staff. And it was very interesting and it was a really um, interesting debate because it really let me reflect on it. And the expectation generally is that you come in and as a foreigner or somebody who doesn't share that cultural background and, and you, you adapt to it. And so... And the questions were all related around how can we make this more understandable? How can we make this better for you to fit in? And I was saying back, how about we do a two-way thing? I'm not the only foreigner, um, so I'm not the only one with a different background. Can we not create something new with all the people who are there? And I think in a classroom, you have that opportunity because... You have a specific group you're working with for a number of weeks, um, hopefully for a year, but you can actually get to know these people and you can make them contribute in, a, in an equal way. And that's basic pedagogy, to be honest, but in this case, really important. Thank you. And did you want to add anything to that, Nick? Yeah, I really did. I was just really interested hearing what, what she says because I think it comes down to the crux of the ideas of counter stories and people being able to express the journeys they've been through in order to get somewhere. I think that here at DMU, particularly on education studies, we value that very much. We want people to share their experiences, not necessarily just because of the value that has, but it gives them an aid to positionality to the debates that we're raising. Because in some respects, particularly when you're teaching sort of sociology, race, ethnicity, social class, those sorts of things, there is no right or wrong answer. What they have to argue from is a particular position. And people have different journeys. And there are some commonalities because of the socialisation process within society. But there are uh, different journeys, and it's important that we hear those. I think from when we're talking pedagogically about education, I think it's really important that we have that opportunity to build relationships with our students. And um, and we sort of work with them. I think is is a stance to take. We work with someone rather than on them. And it, it feeds back to what Mon Moche says about we tend not to operate in that banking concept of education. And we work much more in a way we work with. We work on focused discussions. So that gives the opportunity for these counter narratives. And I think reading lists are fine. And 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 there's some structural stuff that needs to be done with reading lists and how modules are facing. But counter stories and letting students tell their stories and feeling a safe place to tell their particular stories is really really important so staying with that point about students telling their stories do you enable that within discussions or is that sort of explicitly in assessments how do, how do you enable that in, 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 the, in the it's mainly in the classroom through discussions because it's done mine particularly are done on a very informal basis i'm an informal educator i'm, a, I'm an ex-youth worker so generally it's it's discussion based it's group work based it's about having those discussions and it's about sharing our experiences i'm always been one that says look i, I might I might be an expert in my field in relation to race ethnicity or social class or sociology and those things but uh, participants and students are experts in their own experiences and we should acknowledge that mm. the university and, and think that students have experiences that are valued. Machi, you wanted to add something there? Yes, I think 
uh, there's a buzzword going around in terms of co-creation at the moment. So everybody wants to co-create the curriculum. And what does that actually mean? So I've done this years ago when nobody was actually talking about that because that was a complete natural thing for me to ask my students, what do you want to know at, by the end of this course? What, what would you like to know? And what would you like to be able to? And write that down and think about what comes out there is what the students actually need. And depending on who's in the group, I've done this for a number of years. Every year I taught something slightly different. They're always the same kind of big things that will come up because you still have to address the learning outcomes. But that was one way for me to really tailor something towards the group I was working with. And it's a really very excellent way of not missing out any counter narrative. What tips and advice would you give to them to think about how they could be more inclusive in their teaching practice? So shall I come to Moche first? I would say question everything you do. That's the first starting point. So look at your reading list and think about how have you chosen this? Was this just convenient to choose? We've all done that. Who has written this and who of your class is actually represented by that? And then if your reading list isn't actually representative of who you teach, think about what can you do in order to change that. As I said earlier, thank you. Rick, uh, what kind of tips would you give somebody? Initially, it's, it's all about that stuff about um, personal planning, I think. You know, make a personal plan to read a book on, on, on black history and make those take those active steps to counter that Eurocentric view of what the wider world. Make sure you're including counter voices. <laughs> take away the idea of personal power within that environment because because as lecturers we we realize there's a certain amount of power and a power differential between us and the students it's about breaking that down and maybe not relying on that as your whole only point of uh, of standing within that environment and, and realize that the students are experts in their own experiences and they have experiences that can be valuable for the journey and create a sense of openness within that environment i think it's really important Thank you. Those are really good tips. Rick, your research has sort of centred around um, students and sort of ethnicity and, yeah. and race as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, I, uh, my research is uh, black and ethnic minoritised people in predominantly white areas. But ultimately, it's about how those that uh, being underrepresented in a, an educational environment and how they interact with whiteness and white dominance. The narratives, the counter narratives they sort of come back with are one that there's, things haven't changed that much over the last sort of 30 years. Things have become very, very subtle, very hidden linked to the ideas of of, of, uh, of banter. It was just a joke. We didn't mean it that way. The ideas that the curriculum actually is in itself is a part, form of structural violence that impacts on on, on the young person um, when they talk about their experiences. The fact that they have to go out and find cultural references of their own culture themselves in their own time and it's not represented in school. The fact that Black History Month is only a month for one but then what we talk about predominantly are um, is slavery which is domination from one race by another and then on top of that we've got Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, those are the role models so what is the message that's sending to our black and ethnic minoritized young people it's like yes you've been dominated and these are the role models we're giving you they were non-violent, we know you're upset, please keep a lid on it. We, we, they don't talk about uh, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey or Stogie Carmichael and the radical nature within that that could empower black young people in order to, black and ethnic minoritized young people in order to 
take control of their lives in some respects. It's almost a placation of them. We know the system's not right. We know it's not, but we're not prepared to give you any of our dominance or, or any share of our dominance within that. That's really interesting. Yeah. And yeah, you're right that the people, the role models are ones that I guess are acceptable yeah. to, to the power structures. Yeah. So that's why they're selected as opposed to the ones that are not acceptable. acceptable. Yeah. yeah, and that's um, really interesting. And it's those hidden messages that um, come back to uh, about self-worth, about place within society. I want to thank you both for joining me today. It's been really, really interesting and really insightful. And I think the kind of the knowledge that you've both shared and imparted would be really, really helpful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.